Welcome to Unlocking Innovation, a podcast from EX3 Labs in 1871. We'll be talking to leaders in innovation about what keeps them ahead of the curve in today's atmosphere of rapid change and how they cultivate a culture of innovation within their organizations. I'm your host, Adam Wisniewski. Today, we'll be talking to Adam Heckman of Microsoft. Adam has been working at Microsoft for over 25 years, where he serves as the Director of Technology and Civic Innovation. In addition to being a go-to source of business guidance for tech giants, universities, and government leaders, Adam is currently a member of the Board of Directors for four charities, an advisory board member for the IT Knowledge Abilities Network, and editorial board member for the International Journal of Innovation Science. He's also the founder and president of the Chicago City Data Users Group and a board member here at 1871. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Adam. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So I'm fascinated. Obviously, you've had this kind of wealth of kind of in background and, and, and knowledge from different sources based on your career journey. So can you just kind of give us an overview of your career and kind of how you got from you know where you are today and where you started? I, I've been really lucky in that I've been able to spend my entire career here in Chicago. In fact, I spent my entire life here in Chicago. So um, that's how I got was able to get exposed to a lot of different people in a lot of different industries and different sectors and. It was just great to to grow up my career here. Uh, I started my career in 1988 at what eventually became Accenture. Mm -hmm. And then in 1991, I was kind of tired of traveling and didn't want to do it anymore. And this much smaller company called Microsoft said, come on, join us. We're going to go for a week to, to Hawaii, and you know you can wear jeans to work. Nice. So I go back to work at uh, what again became Accenture that next day, and they said we want you to go to Grand Rapids, Michigan, for the next I don't know two years. And I thought to myself, well, Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is beautiful, right. by the way, yeah, no absolutely. no shade thrown on that, uh, or Hawaii for a week and wear some jeans. Easy answer. Uh, got in the long line. And yeah. it was a much smaller company. We had fewer than 5,000 employees. I was responsible for uh, the technology guy for, let me think about this, DOS 4, Windows 3.0, the beta of Word 2, Excel. Oh, wow. That was, before, that was before we bought PowerPoint. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, <clears throat> but I sort of grew up with the company, and most of my career was spent building technical teams. Um, a good chunk of that time was at the Microsoft Technology Center, Chicago. So the Microsoft Technology Center was something of a focal point. We tried to make sure that it was this open environment that you know te- uh, tech-interested people could come and our customers could come and learn about technology and try technology. And my two passions were technology and Chicago. And then I found out that this other group at Microsoft is was focused on learning as much as we could about cities and their usage of technology and what the issues were around it and where it could benefit and what the intersection was of things like equity, public uh, policy, social equity, uh, civic uses and uh, technology and data. And I said, well, I want that job. Absolutely. Yeah. And so... Um, 
I, I called the person who was hiring for it, and I said, "Listen, you, you got to hire me for this. This is, this is. I, I do this in, at night, and I do this when I'm not doing other things. And here's what I want to. Here's what I'm going to do when you give me this job." And she said, "Well, that's all well and good, Adam, but you still have to interview for it." <laughs> um, so I interviewed for it, and now I'm working in another team called the Microsoft Cities team that takes a look at the the most pressing civic challenges in cities and where technology applies. Absolutely. And the role that you've been in specifically, how long have you been in that role? It's been almost five years, but the role has evolved. It started out as pretty much focused solely on the civic tech movement. And now we have a focus on, still have a focus on the civic tech movement, but what are those other areas of social impact where technology has a role to play? Absolutely. One thing that, that I've always admired about Microsoft is that they're one of the few kind of larger tech companies that has a role like this. I haven't seen that much. What spawned that? What, do, you, do you know what the genesis of the role was? Was it was there a pain point that they saw that they were looking to solve for? First of all, I think Microsoft is the only company I've seen, at least the only tech company I've seen that's thinking about this. You know, we're not we're not selling anything, and we're not um, we're not lobbyists. Right. Uh, we're uh, problem solvers, and we're learners. And I think that there were a few things that led to this point. Number one, the whole company was going through a transition where we were embracing this learning mindset. You want to learn about everything. Um, the second piece is that you know we fall under a group at Microsoft called the Technology and Corporate Responsibility Group. So the two pieces there, technology and responsibility, I think we want to understand. We recognize that there is a responsibility when you're a very large tech company and when tech is driving so many things, positive and sometimes negative, that there is a responsibility to make sure that you are driving as much of it towards the positive as you possibly can. Absolutely. And it's interesting because it, it, I was at the city of Chicago, I think probably maybe a year or two before you started because I was a kind of a, a lead designer for, for the city of Chicago for a time period. And I know there were so many tech initiatives that they really wanted to get off the ground. And this was one kind of, I, I think that the, the relationship with Microsoft was a, such an important one, kind of understand how to problem solve together. So well, when you were a designer at the city, actually, you were even that having a designer at the city was some something that was sort of groundbreaking. So there weren't a lot of cities that had the, your role. That's right. I was the only one at the time. I remember looking up, and they, they said they needed a UX designer and, and somebody to help kind of revamp the uh, the city of Chicago website. What's interesting about it is there's still a lot of the remnants of, of what I designed back then, which is, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm proud of it now because design gets stale pretty quickly, but I was on the team that was responsible for helping to convert the uh, the website over to different languages, for example. So about as it, the, the city expands and has, has a, a diverse population, how do we kind of make sure that uh, the site is accessible and things like that? And I know accessibility is a part of, um, of what you do as well in terms right. of that. So um, talk to me about, a little bit about um, specifically in your current role, your responsibility for tackling urban challenges for the city. Can you talk a little bit about some of the most pressing kind of challenges that you see and, and, and what 
you're passionate about as it relates to solving some of those? Yeah, sure. When I take a look at the issues um, in Chicago, the social challenges, um, I think about what what is happening today in terms of people's skills and experiences and how are they going to be impacted in the future? And one of those big issues is equity. So how do you ensure that a resource, a city resource, whether it's driven by policy or by technology or whatever, how do you make sure it's available to everybody? So you take computer science education, right? Um, City of Chicago is very forward-thinking in that respect. We have this CS for All program that um, is is driving towards getting computer science as a graduation requirement, and it's a, rec- a recognition that jobs that will be in demand in the near future will be the ones that create programmers, ones that design, like you were, a UX designer, uh, those that analyze opportunities for improvement, like data scientists, those who know how to get the most out of technology, like artificial intelligence and machine learning. So that's great that we recognize that these are the jobs for the near term and for the for the future, but how do you make sure that those who are creating and finding solutions and developing the tech and designing it are representative of the populations in our city and in our society? So I look, I'm look, working with groups that have programs that focus on getting more girls interested in computer science, getting more people of color interested in computer science, and then backing that up with the resources. I'm also looking at adults, you know, the, the, whether they're unemployed or underemployed, what are the mechanisms for getting them the skills that they need very quickly to participate in the economy? Um, we're starting to look at the intersection of technology and data and criminal justice reform. And then our legacy, which is civic tech, is still something that we're very, very passionate about. Absolutely. And, and that's such great work. One of the things that is a huge um, has a huge effect on, on many cities is this digital divide scenario. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen in terms of the challenge of the digital divide and any, any numbers that you can potentially point to in terms of quantifying that problem and kind of where it is, where it has been and where it is today? In terms of quantifying, so let's define it. The digital divide is the access to digital education and digital skills acquisition is not equitably equitably distributed in terms of demographics there are not enough girls that are getting inspired and interested to go into cs education which means that you don't have enough women represented in the industry Um, and there are not enough people of color that are taking on cs uh, cs uh, jobs and partially that's because they haven't been exposed to it at an early age. And that's a, that's a societal problem, right? right? And the digital divide is a lot bigger and a lot more complex than a lot of people think. Because it's, it's not just my school doesn't have enough CS education. It's does my neighborhood even have broadband access? Right. Right? There's... Um, in the, in the country, there are 23.6 million people that don't have broadband access. Now, granted, a lot of those are in rural areas, but some of those are in the city of Chicago, too, right? right? So you have um, a, 
skills piece, you have an access to the technology piece, you have an access to broadband piece. It's a very big and complex issue. But if we don't fix it, then the not just the tech industry, but the sector that's serving tech that exists in any industry is going to look exactly like it looks today. Right. And I, I know you know we've had a chance to work with Microsoft on, on various initiatives. One of the things that we're probably most proud of is uh, a donation that EX3 Labs was able to make uh, where we donated some immersive learning devices to um, uh, uh, Pullman Elementary School mm-hmm. as well as Diet High School and mm-hmm. it include some Microsoft mixed reality headsets and um, included a bunch of immersive learning content so the the kids who, di- who didn't necessarily have access to that at home could learn about it. And we know that doesn't solve the problem like you mentioned, but it certainly hel- helps with that in an immersive learning environment. What are some of the kind of steps in, in, in uh, initiatives that are being set up that, that you're gravitating towards that you feel are going to be high impact to help kind of solve for that digital divide? Well, first of all, let's take a step back and talk about what you were working on because um, not only did what you did in, in Pullman and in, uh, and in Diet expose kids to immersive learning, it inspired them to think differently about the future of technology, the future of working, the future of learning. So I can promise you that one of those students that you were working with is going to be a, a founder of a startup and is going to take 10 folks from their neighborhood with them and be like the you know the new EX3 labs or or something something big so that's important um, some of the areas that i see a lot of promise in are places like you take a look at the chicago public libraries or public library systems all across the country. Your typical thought of a library is this is a book lending resource. It's becoming everything but, right? It's becoming the place where you experience technology. Why? Well, because like just the Harold Washington Library downtown has 130 um, computers out there that people line up to use. What's on those computers that matters? You know, it's not necessarily always some kid playing a game, right? Um, or, but it's also things like people sharpening their skills, um, people getting exposed to industries and um, skill types that they didn't even know existed, and now they're able to try it and maybe skill up on it. And who knows, maybe that leads to a funnel that goes into city colleges, which leads to a job somewhere. Um, it's that kind of a, 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 it's that kind of a program that has connection points so that it's not just train somebody or expose somebody to something cool and then let it go. You have pathways. Right. Absolutely. And it's, it's so interesting. And, it, you know, leading up to this interview, I, was, I, I got extremely excited because there seems like there's so much overlap with some of the th- things you've done in your career 
um, I've got quite a bit of background in, in uh, civic services. I, I used to be the technology coordinator at the Skokie Public Library. And That's where I grew up. Yeah. So it, it uh, you know, getting a chance, we, we brought one of the first digital media labs to a public library. I think it was one of the first ones nationally um, in the mid-2000s. And it was exciting because I, re- I remember a lot of the, the students that would come there after school. And you could easily tell who was there to kind of um, have fun on the computers versus the kids who literally would stay there the entire night because they had no parental supervision. Their parents would either not know where they were or they were working so many jobs or whatever the case may be that they literally had to have the library serve as the kind of the default babysitter for them. Um, But what was powerful was that anytime you saw a student get in front of these computers, whether they were playing games or they were doing research for school, they were sharpening their skills. And what a great resource for them to have, especially those that didn't have computers at home. Right. Um, and, and I, I just think the work that you do is so fascinating because it really does drive um, cities and communities, and it's it's certainly um, commendable. Let, let's double-click on that for a second because sure. you've, you brought up some really interesting points. Um, you think about a neighborhood like Skokie, which is very diverse, and it serves um, a large population, and, you know, and in Chicago, we have this program called Cyber Navigators, um, where you have people that are there to help other people leverage the technology that's there. So I remember growing up in Skokie, so that for every um, young student that is um, came here from India that wants to use uh, the, the technology to sharpen their language skills or to build that next startup... You also have an 88-year-old Bubby who's there to look up and try to figure out how to get her health care benefits. So what these cyber navigators do is they're there to observe and recommend, right? So you see this young student that's there and playing games on the, on the computer, they'll come up to them and say, you know what, do you want to learn how to code some of those games or help that 88-year-old grandmother? Absolutely. Or if they see somebody coming there every day who they suspect may be homeless or may be unemployed and that person's looking up the, uh, at the, at the, the jobs, maybe they'll go up to them and say, would you like to learn how to use the computer to build your resume or to build a LinkedIn profile or whatever? That's the, that's the power of civic spaces Absolutely. like libraries. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you're saying that, I'm having some flashbacks to my, my time there because I, I spent most of my days as a technology coordinator helping people find right. jobs. And one of the things that I, I loved about that role is it, it was so rewarding to, to not just help, you know, any given day I would be working with, you know, third, fourth and fifth graders to help them learn how to code through a program like open source program like Scratch from right. MIT. But then at the same time, I'd be helping somebody who was more senior, who, who didn't have as much confidence using a computer, find a job. And then on the other end, there'd be scenarios where um, we had probably the largest kind of resource pool for from an accessibility standpoint for people with various disabilities. So we, I remember we had a Braille computer in Duxbury that uh. someone could check out a book. And literally scan it through one of the, the the scanners, advanced scanners that would turn regular text pages into Braille. And it was so amazing to see that. Rock and on! I, yeah, I know that's some, some amazing, amazing technology that uh, I got exposed to, and it was really, really rewarding. 
So one of the things that that I, I know you all do, not just at Microsoft, but in your specific role, is focus in on technology and really leveraging technology and innovation to solve some problems. So what? how have you seen technology and different kind of innovation mindsets spur different technologies as it relates to, to civic innovation specifically? In, the, in terms of civic innovation, I think this happens to be an area where Chicago itself is particularly strong. Um, civic tech is a lot of times it's people that are that have technical technical skills or design skills or data skills, and they want to prov- they want to volunteer those skills. They want to provide them for free to the public good. A lot of times around issues of democracy or issues of equity or environmental issues. But what's really exciting to see are those social impact for-profit companies starting to play. Um, and in fact, right here, we're at 1871, there's, um, there's a group here called Impact Engine. And Impact Engine is a, is a, a social venture, um, venture capital company, uh, organization that has all of, uh, just a terrific portfolio. So if you think about some of the companies that they have and some of the things that they're doing, that is really exciting. A lot of it has to do with, uh, almost all of them have something to do with technology. There's, I'll just give you a couple examples. Um, there's a group called Civic Artworks that has a platform called Municipal, which allows you to do community planning um, and community design. So if you're in a city, they, they have the example I saw was the city of Peoria, um, and you want the public to um, give feedback on how to redesign their big public square or the riverfront, this is a platform where the public makes their suggestions and they react to civic ideas and they react to designs and they react to projects and they discourse. And in the end, you have something like a, a uh, an output, a document, that's actually in the format that governments like to see. Mm-hmm. So this is like the ultimate connector between right. <laughs> the people and their governments. And the other group that's up, uh, another group that's up there, um, Adovo, used to be called Jail Education Solutions. So they're reducing recidivism by providing education and rehabilitative programming in correctional facilities online. Interesting. So fascinating what people are doing these days. There, there's so many great. Um, organizations that are part of that portfolio. Well, let me give you one more because I'm on a roll. Sure. Think Circa. Uh, Think Circa has gotten a lot of really positive press. It's a it's a platform for teachers to help them create this personalized content for building critical thinking skills in students. So what you're doing here is you're building capacity by training the teachers. And then there's there are there are others that are that work on the. Um, the career pathways piece. There's a group that I was reading about recently that's part of their portfolio called Fixer, which gives training and certification and sustainable career paths for folks that are in some of the trades, like home repair and the building trades. That's that's a high need, I think. Right. There's so many people that are out there that are unskilled, especially on the on the technology side, and, and to be able to to connect them to resources, uh, even if it's non tech related. Um, 
to be able to connect them to the right resources so that they can get trained yeah. and be able to be equipped with those, those skills I think is so important. And it's a huge, huge benefit to, to cities, especially in, in, in jobs and in creating kind of that economy of, of scale. And to pair them up with the opportunity. It's not like the opportunity doesn't exist. It exists. But if you're not super skilled in the technology, then you're missing out on the opportunity. Absolutely. So one of the things that I, I wanted to talk to you about, because obviously this, this podcast is really around unlocking innovation. If somebody from another city is listening in now and they don't have the resources that Chicago has, maybe they don't have as strong partnerships, or, or um, they're, but they're, they're looking to focus on how they can be more innovative and drive civic innovation, what are some of the things that you would recommend that they do? If, if their focus is on civic innovation, you have to break that up into its two components, civic and innovation. So the civic piece means they care about their community and they care about the issues in their community. And that means that they're going to want to take some time uh, going on a little listening tour and understanding what those issues are. Um, I, like I said, I spent my whole life in Chicago and I felt like I had a really good handle on what those issues are when I started this job. Now, I spent most of my career in the technology center downtown. Now I spend most of my career in the neighborhoods and realized, you know what, I didn't really understand it at all. So if you're interested in civic innovation, go out there and be civic, for one thing. Absolutely. The second piece is the innovation piece of it. Um, Understand what it is that you need to drive to. Um, it, there's no sense in doing technology for technology's sake. Right. But it also helps to understand the technology a little bit. So find something that's interesting for you. It doesn't have to be programming, although programming is really fun. It is. Um, it is. I'm actually I'm 52 years old, and I'm, I'm back at school in De, at DePaul getting my master's in data science nice. right now. I love it. Um, Get glob onto something, glob onto data, design, development, something, so that you have a skill that you can contribute to, and then collaborate with other people that have those complementary skills. I can't emphasize enough the importance of collaboration and innovation. Absolutely, and you Wherever do that you better than most. I well, mean, thank you. you. Have a, a thank sh- you. Not only a strong network, but I can't go too many places in Chicago without somebody mentioning your name <laughs> in terms of how you've helped out and have been able to really drive um, different mindsets and connect people. Well, so. thank you. It's because I do so few things well, <laughs> and so I'm forced to collaborate. <laughs> Good stuff. So we know you're a huge champion of, of startups, and mm-hmm. um, you're obviously a board member here at 1871, and you help them connect with municipalities and civic initiatives. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of startups and, and their role specifically within Chicago and the, and the business and tech community? Yeah. Well, first of all, let me just talk about startups in general. They are an indisputable innovation engine. Um, they drive economies, and they drive every sector. So in a city like Chicago where you have, um, like our mayor likes to say, there's no industry that has more than 13.1% of employment, so you have a lot of different sectors. It means you have a lot of different opportunities for startups. Not all startups are tech-focused. Right. Tech is incorporated into every industry, 
but it might be financially focused, fintech-focused. Um, there are a ton of food-based startups here in Chicago, um, healthcare startups, manufacturing startups. We have a whole um, group called M-Hub um, over on Chicago Avenue that's focused on helping people understand manufacturing and trying things out. So uh, the startup community are the innovation engines for all of those industries. And so Microsoft is partnering with founders and investors uh, to help propel their growth. Where we, uh, not that long ago, a little bit less than a year ago, committed about half a billion dollars uh, over the next two years to offer resources, including including joint business development with startups, um, access to our technology, new community spaces to promote collaboration and uh, across local and global ecosystems, things like that. Absolutely. And some of those resources, I know quite a few startups that have taken advantage of that, mm-hmm. whether it's you know at getting set up on the cloud through Azure or something like that. And, and it's really, really beneficial, especially for startups looking to get off the ground. In some cities, we've, um, we've actually built physical spaces where we provide, um, oppor- like this, like 1871, where we provide opportunities to connect and learn from, from other startups and developers and engineers. Uh, we have one in Bangalore, Beijing, San Francisco, Seattle, Tel Aviv. Berlin, New York, Shanghai. I think I'm missing one, but you get the point. <laughs> Absolutely. You've done a lot of work uh, to make the city more accessible, um, especially for underserved communities. Creating the Shy Safe Path app, uh, for example, is, is one um, app that you all kind of built and, and helped dro- uh, drive. Well, let, me, um, let, me give, let me give credit where credit's due on that. There's a civic technologist. His name is Steve Luker. Um, Steve and I, uh, we've been friends for eight years or so. He's a, a member of um, a group called IT Can, which we can talk about next. Steve is managing in a wheelchair. That wheelchair must be about 300 pounds. Okay? Um, Steve is also nonverbal. He's vocal as hell, but he's, non- <laughs> he's nonverbal. Um, if Steve... And he lives out in the suburbs. If he plans a trip downtown, it requires a lot of planning. It could take him a couple of hours because he's managing um, getting to the train. So pace to get to the train station, the train downtown, and then wheeling himself downtown to wherever he's going. If there is something unplanned or unexpected, for example, they're you know doing something on the street, and now the they've scraped away the asphalt, and now the grade is too steep at the cutaway. That may tank his plans. So that's the kind of thing that you won't see on Google Maps or, or you know, Waze or anything like that. So Steve's idea was, what if we crowdsource the kinds of things that are important to people who are managing disabilities of all kinds and it, let them take a picture of something, geotag it, and get it into a onto a map so that if I'm going um, down Randolph, somebody notices that there's a big crack in the sidewalk and somebody who's using a cane to manage um, needs to be aware of that, they can be aware of that. At the same time, his thought process was, 
this should also get reported into 311. And for those of your listeners in cities that don't have 311, this is this is how you get city services. You call 311 on your phone and tell them what uh, that I need my trees trimmed or that you know there's I need there's a pothole whatever. It, simultaneously, he's crowdsourcing the map so that you optimize for access and getting that into 311. And when you think about your typical mapping experience, when you're not managing a disability, you're optimizing for either, what is it, either speed or distance. Right. Shy path, Steve Luker's app, that's optimizing for safety. It's very different. In in. in just as important, right? I'm in awe of it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's amazing. We, there's so many scenarios where you can think of that. You know, people need to be more safe. I was walking down a, a set of steps um, right by uh, River North, and I, I just thought to myself, "There's a part of this that doesn't feel as safe as it should be. Maybe it was right. a little bit of a cranky rail, rail or something like that." And um, it, to, to be able to have that ability to, to to inform the city about it and make sure that they do something, I think, is important. So. The city happens to be pretty responsive on these. I mean, we, um, we have we have a a mayor's office of people with disabilities, which you don't see in every city. And the, uh, the commissioner there is a very, very strong um, advocate, both in terms of city infrastructure and policy, to make sure that um, the, those voices are heard and that the city is could be as accessible as it possibly could be. Absolutely. Is, is that Karen? That's Karen Tamley. Yeah, yeah she's, she's awesome. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I had a chance to... Um, uh, sit on the, one of the accessibility committees when we were looking to create even the, the, the changes, the language of the city of Chicago when you were, site. When you were a designer for the city. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And um, it was, it, she was so committed to ensuring that every single person, regardless of what their ability is, ha- has an accessible experience, whether it's, you know, through the kiosks, you know, and, you know, the city job sites, making sure people can actually easily get into different businesses that, uh, that have um, you know certain um, size doorways and things like that, and even the digital experiences online. So she's uh, she's definitely been a, a huge advocate of for the city. So it, we love that. It, that goes back to what we had said before about you know if you really want to understand civic tech, you have to you have to live it. You have to um, what what um, a guy that uh, was a is a professor uh, Akhtar Badash calls you have to taste you have to taste the soil, and so she lives it. And she understands it, but she also knows that people with, within people with disabilities, there is a very diverse set of communities. So, like you said, it's 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 the digital experience and it's the physical experience and it's everything in between. Absolutely, we had the the pleasure. I'm not sure if you've met Andre Johnson. Um, Andre Johnson um, is in a wheelchair, and he was a the, the victim of of gun violence. Um, <laughs> Yes, yes. Amazing right. young man, 1871 member. He certainly is doing a lot. He's, he's created um, uh, a business called Live Equipped where yeah. he's selling different um, um, equipment to, to people with various disabilities. And what's very interesting about his journey, um, we had the pleasure of, of, of working with him on a project. ex Labs was looking to help communicate what it's like to be in a wheelchair um, for somebody who who has the ability to use both legs, and we he allowed us to kind of ha- have a day in the life of Andre, and we we shot a video of him in 360 
um, from the perspective of him being in the wheelchair and how difficult it was for him to try to pull a plate off of a, a top shelf or even do something that we take for granted, just opening up a microwave door that might be a little bit too high for the average um, person to reach and getting in through tight spaces. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting as we were shooting the video just around different neighborhoods in Chicago, realizing that there's so many barriers that you have to go through um, you know, de- depending on what your your specific ability is, and to, to f- have to face that every day, he mentioned to us. He was saying, "How long do you think it takes me to get you know dressed and get up and ready and 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 off to wherever I'm going?" And we were all thinking, "Well, maybe it takes us an hour, half hour, what have you." So it probably takes him around two hours. We just doubled it, quadruple, right? Quadruple the time. That's so right. it would take us an hour, it takes him four hours to, to just get, get ready, get himself into the shower and all of those scenarios. And um, by shooting this 360 video, we were able to, to put it up in the different mixed reality headsets um, and have people experience what that would be like. So they could literally turn their head and experience what it was like to be in, in the chair. And I think so many people went through that and had a completely different experience after the fact of kind of just going through an immersive learning scenario and developing much more empathy towards um, situations that that not are the, that aren't the same of your own is I think is important. So. That, that's one of the so I love what I love about EX three EX three labs is that you're 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 building deep empathy. Um, people think about. AR, VR, MR technology and think about it as a great enabler, but you've capitalized on the opportunity there is to make it an empathy engine. I love that phrase, empathy engine. You can take it. <laughs> it's yours. How much do I owe you? Nothing. <laughs> your, your undying loyalty. <laughs> Good stuff. So um, why is technology so critical in raising awareness um, in, in solving these issues? Um, in, in part of the reason why is because there's some unawareness of, of what actually goes on uh, within um, communities and neighborhoods. So why is technology – not every innovation requires technology, but we do know it's a big part. So why is technology so critical in really raising that awareness and solving those issues? Well, you're right. Not every – um, not every issue has technology at its core, um, but technology certainly factors into it in the periphery somehow. When you are taking a look at a civic issue, <clears throat> you need to have data around that issue so that you can find what are the root causes and what are those tertiary, maybe not obvious things that could be contributing to that issue. And then also there's the opportunity piece. Is there a way that the, tech, that the data can show where you can solve some of those problems and where technology can be a solution to some of those problems? And even, so even if technology isn't at the core of an issue, there's probably opportunities to use it to either identify or to solve. So one of the things I, I'm, I'm curious, because you're a, a Chicago native, you've been entrenched in the community for such a long time, where are we going to be from five years from now, ten years from now? What does the city landscape look like um, based on all the efforts that are taking place within your camp and all the other initiatives taking place? If you had to kind of uh, think about the future and make some bold predictions. 
Well, there's so there's there's two ways to look at this. There's the optimistic way, which I'm and prone towards and there's the um there's the pessimistic darker side of this um it the the it's up to us which way we go in terms of technology in the city five years from now we can be in a place and i firmly believe that we are on the right path because we're doing a lot of the right things where our workforce has the opportunity to access technical skills wherever they're at. It comes to them. Um, We have these programs like the Chicago Code Workforce Partnership is working on something called Chicago Codes that brings coding skills out to the communities. Um, You have, like I mentioned, CS for all, et cetera, uh, for students, et cetera. So you can be at a place where now access to technology and access to digital skills is equitably distributed. The darker side of this is we do nothing or what we do fails and this gap you called it a digital divide but it's bigger than digital divide it's a complete haves and have nots just gets wider and just gets more pronounced so it's really up to us uh to to determine which direction we're going to go in and i'm fairly confident we're doing the right things fantastic so last question and this is the the hardest one of the day. So what's the one app on your phone that you can't live without? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hate to say this because, well, I should say this, uh, Microsoft Outlook. But other than that one, I hate to say this because it belongs to a competitor, Audible. <laughs> I, li- I listen to Audible all the time. Absolutely. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big runner, so I'm always listening to, listening to books. Fantastic. Thank you, Adam Heckman, for spending time with us today, and thank you for um, sharing your wisdom. Uh, is there a specific place where listeners can follow you or keep up to date with uh, your work? Yeah, I would two places. I'd say follow us on Twitter. That's um, at MSFT Chicago, like Microsoft Chicago, and then follow our blog. Uh, we have a Chicago Cities blog, blogs.microsoft.com/chicago. Fantastic. Thank you for tuning in to Unlocking Innovation. Remember to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud to stay up to date with new episodes as they air. To stay up to date with EX3 Labs news and events, follow us on social media. We're at EX3 Labs. See you next time.